Sweet, sweet time of worship. So as we uh, gather today, good morning. I uh, first of all just want to thank you all for really your gifts and your prayers for, for Marcia and I. It's been incredible uh, how we've got to experience the body of Christ. So thank you all for that. Um, we're blessed. And thanks also for just the, the gifts to Rimrock. Um, it's amazing how God just continues to pour out through you, his church. Um, I, I don't know who gives what, so just so you know, uh, I, I, that's cool. But uh, what I do know is that God knows. And so I just pray uh, uh, often for you that God would bless each of you who give beyond what you can even imagine. So thank you for that. And, and I just know that that uh, is how I'm supposed to begin with a thanks, and uh, it allows me to have a clear conscience, uh, really a blameless conscience before God and before you as we start, because that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the making of a conscience, and we're going to jump right in. Uh, it's been an interesting study for me. I really don't want to do this uh, as I kind of wrestled through this, um, but I was supposed to because my conscience told me no. And, uh, and uh, I kind of, you know, I mean, there's some things that are just really clear and very clean and very defined, and there's other things that aren't. And so what I'm excited about today is that I've just been asking that God would make himself known to each one of you in a special way. And so I'm really excited to kind of see how he does that. And uh, what's really cool is I won't know because only God knows, but uh, I trust that he will do that. And so we're just going to kind of cover this, this broadly, but I really want us to get to think about this. The Bible lists really kind of several different kinds of uh, states of your conscience. Um, and so just to get you thinking, you know, you can have like a clear, a blameless, a good conscience before God, or a defiled, evil, seared, even weak conscience before God. And uh, we, maybe we call that a, a, a guilty conscience. There's, there's been several different things written about it. Jim Craddock wrote a really good position paper about it if you really want to study about conscience. But just kind of broad terms, we either have this like clear conscience before God or, or maybe this guilty conscience, we would call it, before God. And so how do we move from one to the other? That's our prayer, God. I pray that you would just make yourself known today. I pray that you would just get me out of the way, that I would just decrease, and that you would increase, Almighty God. And I pray, Jesus Christ, that you would just speak to each person here by the power of your Spirit, that we would leave thinking about you, that you would be exalted, that you would be lifted on high, and that you would just um, touch, touch us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So conscience simply means to know together, okay? To know together. It's like this moral judgment of right or wrong, to know together. And, and today, in, in our world, in our culture, most would kind of break this down to what you and I know together, what we believe together. Um, and this conscience is so, in our, in our day, it's really shaped by our culture, which we've been looking at how we engage the culture. And one way God uses us to engage the culture is this, if we walk with him and have this clear conscience before him, he uses us. And uh, it's amazing because it all, it's all about him, and it sets us free from us trying to perform. Instead, we just kind of surrender to him. But it's this way of life. And so mostly, we, we think that our conscience is kind of what you and I agree together. What I mean, you know, like we can have a conscience here at Rimrock that says, um, you know, it's good to eat donuts on Sunday morning, right? And we would agree together with that if someone would come in and say, that is outlawed, no donuts on Sunday. Um, man, that would be 
uh, that would be bold for someone to do that, first of all, because there's, there's, there's certain things that are really important in religion. And, uh, and, and for us, that's one of our religious laws, right? That donuts are fine, okay? And so, but it's like this conscience we have that, that we agree together that, that that's fine on Sunday mornings or coffee or, or whatever it is. But we agree together. But, and, and, and if you go, like we have a national conscience. We have, you have a conscience in your workplace of what you think is right or wrong. You have a, as a nation, we have certain things that we just believe in. You know, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and certain things that would not be true in other countries that are true in our country. Um, and so it, it's kind of this, this sense where we have this conscience we know together. But, but I propose to you and this is what I really want us to wrestle with today, is that um, your conscience is really what you and Almighty God know together. It's what you and God know together. Okay, not what you and I know together. It's what you and Almighty God know together. You're not God, neither am I, right? And so to have this clear conscience before God, you must know the standards of God and agree with Him. You must, okay? And it's individual. It's not my job to make sure your conscience is right before God. That's between you and God. And so your conscience kind of points to the highest standards you know. And uh, as you put the word of God in front of you, that becomes the standard for your conscience. It becomes the, the, the really the, the plumb line for your conscience. So our conscience kind of need to grow and really learn the standards of right and wrong through the word. The word is the guide. The word is the road to God, to Yahweh, the Holy Spirit we have with us to, to guide and direct us as believers. But I need to learn the standards of God, and then my conscience will align with him. Does that make sense? And so it's between you and God, first of all. And so to move from this guilty conscience to a clear conscience in a particular area, it just requires repentance, which sounds really simple. And it is very simple. It's just not that all easy because we tend to think we want to go our own way. But it's very simple just to say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. Okay, and I don't know why that's so hard for us because it's so simple. But that's really what it requires because the truth is um, it's between you and Almighty God. And guess what? He's always right. <laughs> And so if there's a dispute between which one of you is right, I would go for his side, okay? Just, just a little advice. It makes our lives way, way easier, way more free. And so I, it, it's between you and God, and, and, and the scriptures kind of point us that way to him. Ignorance is, of course, no excuse with the creator. He's given us his word, um, and we can either agree with him and surrender to him, or we can kind of create our own truth apart from him, and then we have this guilt before him, okay? So just kind of hang in there because there's, there's just a few big ideas and then I think we'll be able to see it applied as, as we look at the nation of Israel and uh, the people of Israel and the family of Israel and how they wrestled with that. But realize that, that you can't control your conscience. You can't control it. Uh, your conscience cannot make decisions for you. You still get to choose whether you're going to listen or not. Uh, your conscience does not consider your emotions or your circumstances. Um, it can prompt you to do the right thing even if you don't feel like it's right or like it should be right or like this is the way. Um, and your conscience really is individual. It's between you and God. There can be things that God asks from you that he does not ask from me and vice versa. And quite frankly, it's very freeing that way that I don't have to worry about what God's asking you to do. I can just uh, go before God and, and align my conscience with the truth of his word and walk that out. It's individual. So you see that? It's like 
You can't control it, okay? It can't make decisions for you. It doesn't consider your emotions or your circumstances, and it's very individual. So we're designed as a people, we're designed, we're created to be aware of God. We're designed, we're created to run on the Holy Spirit, okay? He's to be our source. Um, The animals are, are driven by instinct. We're to be driven by the Holy Spirit, just like maybe a car that runs on gasoline, And so we're to surrender to God. We're to be powered by his spirit. So God kind of gives us this conscience to remind us of this truth as a blessing for us and to protect us. It's kind of like that warning light that comes on in your gas gauge when you're running out of gas. It's a guide, okay? And and see, what God does with our conscience is when we start to, to get off into the flesh, then we get this little prompt. And to me, I always just think of it as a check in my spirit. You know, mostly I'm pretty peaceful, and so when I get disturbed, it causes me to just stop and, and think. And, and what is going on here? And as you know me, those of you who know me, or we kind of hang out or we talk, typically um, it, it's just kind of a matter of time before you get a text from me that says, I'm sorry I said that, will you forgive me? Kind of thing, you know, because it's like it happens a lot. But it's just kind of where I get disturbed. And then it just sets me free because I just admit, hey, you know what, I probably messed that up, I'm sorry. And, uh, and it's amazing how God just sets us free when we do that. But, but Satan wants to always convince us, this evil one, that, that somehow our conscience is evil and that God's not good. And so he's prompting you not to do that because he doesn't want you to really have fun in life, right? And, and so we kind of feel this true guilt from God. We feel this kind of tweak in our spirit and, and we try and suppress it. We try and kill it. We try and deny it. And we just kind of keep going and ignore our conscience. And then we end up with all this fear and this anxiety and maybe depression and all these things we can't even put a hand on. We don't even know what it's all about, but that's kind of where we, we land. And, and the list goes on. And so it's very simple, as I said. Uh, just admit you're wrong before God, okay? When, when you get off, just admit you're wrong before God. And there's some really good reasons for it. I'll, I'll give you some as we close. But just for an example, to get the picture, so you're running along in your car and that, that light comes on. And it says your gas tank is running low. And so what do you think? Let's see how far we can go, right? (laughs) That can't be right. You know, I just filled up not too long ago. Or you know what? I don't have time for that. I don't have time to listen to that or to pay attention to that. I don't have the money. I don't want to spend the money on gas now, right? Do you know what it costs here compared to Sioux Falls? And I'm going to wait till the price goes somewhere, right? We have all these stupid thoughts, we think. And, but that little light comes on, and we're just going to test it to the edge, right? And, uh, and it's amazing when you stop and just fill up with gas, how you just have peace. You don't even think about it anymore, right? It's pretty simple. It's really, you know, for those of you who struggle with that, it's very simple, okay? <laughs> really, just put some gas in your car, and you don't even think about it. It's amazing, okay? And that's really how it works as we're walking with God, Okay? And so in our day, and I just kind of want to get this in our minds, in our day, you know, like it's all kind of about this group thing that determines our conscience. That's what our culture is going to press into us. So our peers are going to determine what's right or wrong. We're kind of all about tolerance in our country at this time, and it's, we don't even really think about that word anymore, but really it's just this willingness to tolerate something that you don't necessarily agree with. And if you're not tolerant, there's, you know, it's wrong in our world. And I used to sell drugs. Um... <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out there. Confession, you know, set my conscience free. But um, not really. I used to sell legal drugs. I worked for a pharmaceutical company, right? And, uh, and so it wasn't nearly as profitable. 
as it could have been. But it makes for a longer career, probably. Um, and so, but anyway, the thing about, that's interesting about medicine is you can develop a tolerance, right? And so it's really a decrease in the response as you get more and more exposure to a particular medicine or to a drug. And that's kind of what happens so much in our culture when our culture decides our, 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 our um, conscience is it, we just kind of develop this tolerance to things, right? A modern definition of tolerance from one author would be nobody has the truth, right? Well, if nobody has the truth, then you just kind of tolerate what everybody else thinks, and you just get used to that, and your conscience kind of wears down almost like a battery that needs to be recharged. And so our conscience kind of changes as we move away from our anchor of the word, our anchor of Yahweh. But it's, it's different through history, but it's kind of always been similar, and it's just different forms. Like for the ancient Greeks, they were pretty smart. They had a lot of wisdom, and that was their big thing. And so it wasn't really about what other people thought that determined their conscience. Instead, it kind of revolved around themselves and how much they knew. And so the word conscience to know together initially in the Greek language was used uh, in the court of law. And it was used in, in, um, in connection with potential witnesses. And so what it was was like it, it was two people who had uh, knowledge of something together, like two eyewitnesses. So we both saw the same thing. Okay, so we both know together what happened. But it was about themselves knowing and that's what made it significant. Just because the other person knew or not, it really revolved around themselves. So their conscience kind of became more and more self-aware than, than God-aware. Now to the Jews of the Old Testament, they had their conscience shaped by Yahweh God, right? I mean, their society was built on God. They had the Ten Commandments. They memorized the Torah. They, they had these kind of moral absolutes. And of course, all around them were these nations who had this plethora of gods and idols. They worshiped all kinds of things. But in that Jewish society, in that season, the people of Israel were very God-conscious, very God-conscious, okay? Of course, they, they moved away from God at the center oftentimes, and they would focus on his laws, and they moved away from surrendering to him, and they tried to prove that they could earn his favor, which you know how well that works out, like never. And, uh, and, and so all through history, though, here's the deal, as we kind of start in this process, is realize that God has always made himself known. Almighty God has always made himself known. And so whether we're more concerned with what other people think, maybe our day, or whether we're more concerned with our jobs or our goals than Almighty God, or whether we're more concerned with ourselves and what we know than what Almighty God shows us, or even if we're more concerned with God's laws rather than Almighty God, he prompts us, and he prompts our conscience with this true guilt. And the guilt remains, even if you try and bury it until you surrender to him. And so today, we're going to look back uh, to this ancient story from history, back into the first book in our Bibles, Genesis, right, that David read, uh, back before, you know, iPads or internet or the written word, um, before the New Testament, before Jesus Christ walked on the earth as a man, before the prophets, and realize this is even before Moses had given the Ten Commandments, okay? And so we're going clear back to the original family of Israel. Not the nation, the original family. And we're going to see how Yahweh, God, developed this God consciousness in them and in his people and how it lived out in their lives, you know, 4,000 odd years ago, and how really it still is true for us. And so the very first thing I want us to know and to remember and just have seared in your brain is that God makes himself known. 
to you. Uh, in Genesis chapter 42, as Dave read, the first, you know, eight or nine verses, really, from my perspective, that's what God's doing. He's just kind of making himself known in a new way to these brothers. And, and you know, re- remember the story, but it's been, it's been more than 20 years since Joseph's seen his brothers. And remember, his brothers had so- sold him into slavery. And they sold him to these Ishmaelites, but this caravan was heading down to Egypt. Joseph's, Joseph's about 17 years old then. And he has 10 older brothers. They didn't know what happened to him, but you can imagine now in verse 1, Jacob, Israel, their father, saw that there was grain in Egypt. And Jacob says to his sons, why are you staring at each other? Uh, can you imagine why they're staring at each other? Egypt? You know, can't you just imagine being in that little family circle? They're looking at each other. All the brothers know that they sold their brother to Egypt, but their father doesn't know that. Now he wants us to go down to Egypt? Are you kidding me? This has been 20. I thought this was done. I've tried to bury this so many times. Right? That's how we do it. You know, that's how we do it. And I'll just tell you, just kind of a side note, you'll never get away with it, okay? Ever before God. That's just the way it is. But you can imagine their lives trying to bury Joseph in their memories, and they knew it was wrong to sell their brother. They knew human trafficking was wrong, and they didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have any of our laws, and they knew it was wrong. And so they come to Egypt, and, and, and you can imagine kind of just, that would be weird, looking around thinking, I wonder if Joseph is still here, if he's still alive. And of course, Joseph being uh, with the Egyptians at the time would be clean-shaven, and the, the Hebrews would be wearing beards, so they, they wouldn't recognize him in that way. Plus, it's been a couple decades. But also, just think, if they're looking for him, they'd be looking among the slaves, right? Not among the leaders of Egypt, certainly. So they're looking among the slaves, and all of a sudden, they come face-to-face with the leader of Egypt, who happens to be their brother, Joseph. And he recognizes them in verse 6. You know, he's the ruler over the land. And Joseph's brothers came and they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And verse 9, Joseph recognized his brothers. They didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams which he had had about them. And he said, you're spies. Okay, he remembers his dreams, right? God gave Joseph a dream back when he was a teenage boy that, guess what? His father, his brothers would bow down before him. And here it is coming true. And God has given you dreams and God's broken into your lives in all different ways and sometimes you think it's never going to happen. I tell you what, it will happen at his time. It's amazing how God works. So Joseph remembers these dreams and the brothers, of course, as they get this picture, it's really going to start to become clear to them. But that's what happened when God starts to prompt a conscience. What he does, he makes himself known. Uh, And just realize that Jesus Christ knows exactly where you are, exactly what's going on in your circumstances. Almighty God is not surprised, and he breaks into your life, and he makes himself known. Even though you can't see him, even though you're trying to look the other way, he is making himself known. And uh, one way he does that, and we're going to look at a couple ways he does that today, because there's several ways, but one way he does that is he'll put you in circumstances beyond your control. He'll put you in circumstances beyond your control. And that's really what happens with these brothers, right? The next uh, 10 through 17, 6, 7, 8 verses in there, that's what happens to them. Joseph says, you're spies. And they're like, oh no, there's 12 brothers, right? It's funny, that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. We're all from the land of Canaan. The youngest is with our father. One's no more. And uh, Joseph said, hey, you're spies. And what he does is he sticks them all in prison. Now, F.B. Meyer speculates that the brothers years ago had thought Joseph was a spy from their father when he came to meet them at Dothan, okay? 
And so he puts them in a very similar circumstance to be accused of being a spy. And the, there are 12 brothers, one's no more. He puts them all in prison, these 10, 10 boys. And they're unfairly imprisoned, right? They didn't deserve to go to prison, just like Joseph. And all of a sudden, they're stressed. And all of a sudden, guess what? Their life is out of control. And that's what God often does for you and for me. He'll put us in places where, guess what? Our resources don't help us at all. We can't figure this one out. We can't fix this one. I can't pull this one off. What am I going to do? And God oftentimes will use solitude. He'll force you to slow down and listen. And uh, Marsh and I were watching the show Blue Bloods the other night, and Frank Reagan, who's played by Selleck, Tom Selleck, says, how can you do the right thing if you don't know what the right thing is? Right? Well, guess what? They knew the right thing, and so do you. Stay in the Word. You'll see the right thing. Just slow down. Ask God. Listen. If you don't understand, ask someone, okay? And so I just, I want us to think about this, that God is making himself known and what circumstances he brought into your lives that are beyond your control. Where's he stuck you that you can't fix? You see, he will make himself known and then at the right time, you'll know the right thing to do and then you get to choose. You get to choose. And in verse 18 through 24, that's what Joseph does with them. He does do this and live. I fear God, if you're honest, men, let one of your brothers be confined in prison, but as far as the rest, you can go. Carry the grain for the famine to your households. Bring me your youngest brother. And that's what God does. He sticks them there, and he, and he lets them choose. And that's what he's doing to every single one of us. You know, the supreme, ultimate ethic, really, for God is that we love him. And uh, we're designed to love him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's the greatest commandment. Love others as yourself, right? And, and yet with love has to come this choice. We can choose not to love him or else it just becomes a robotic thing. And, and so here they go, the brothers, they get this choice and they can no longer bury their guilt. And immediately as they get stuck together in prison, what do you see in verse 21? Truly we're guilty concerning our brother. We saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. They hadn't given the law yet, but they knew what they did was wrong. The guilt in their conscience from years ago was plaguing them. They had God's conscience. Reuben said, did I not tell you? Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. And now comes the reckoning for his blood. And of course, Joseph understood what they were saying, but they didn't know that. They simply admitted that they're guilty. When you're wrong, admit it to God. It's that simple. And I'm not saying that's easy and it's not flippant, but it's simple. You see, they, they, they knew they were wrong and they admitted their guilt. And at times, you know, there's not a right or wrong choice, so just choose. Just choose what you want to do and go your way. But you know, at times, we all have those things in our lives that are very clear it's right or it's wrong. And let me tell you something that we all know, if you haven't learned it, but you will, is that the wrong choice is often the one that's disguised as the only one that's really going to work out for you. Right? You guys know what I mean. You know, you start making these decisions and there seems to be a right way and a wrong way, but the only way that seems like it's ever going to work is the wrong way. 
And that's what God often does. He'll put us in a place we can't control because he wants us to love him. He wants us to surrender to him. He wants us to trust him, which often means not being able to see how it's going to work out, right? We have to take a step and then trust him. And every choice allows us this, this chance to move toward him or away from him with the consequences that come with it. And we all make mistakes, but not everyone humbly admits them and seeks his forgiveness. So when you make a wrong choice, just repent. There's this humble heart before God that's just beautiful. And just admit you're wrong, because guess what? God knows anyway, okay? I don't know who we're trying to fool, okay? He knows. It's not time to blame someone else, not time to blame your circumstances. You know what we'd say, like, man up. Just admit it to God you're wrong. Uh, That's really true, true courage is when you surrender to God. And you see, oftentimes we don't slow down enough to even consider our choices. And so God continues to check, and he continues to check, and he continues to check, and he'll ultimately slow you down until you stop and repent. So when have you made a wrong choice? Have you repented? Have you turned to God? I think that we miss something so huge in our lives because so often we try and minimize our sin just compared to others, right? And we don't want to admit we're wrong to God. It's not as bad as what other people do. But you know what we really miss when we do that? We miss his grace. You're never going to get away with it, but you're missing out on his grace. God is making himself known to you today. It may be that he's put you in some kind of circumstance that you can't fix, you can't control, and you have to choose the right way. Today's your choice. Today's your chance to turn to him. He also makes himself known in another way. And there's other ways besides these two, but there's another way in this story that I think he does in our lives so often that we fail to just stop and acknowledge him for. You know what he does? He showers you with his grace. He showers you with his grace. Look what happens to these brothers. Joseph gave orders in verse 25 to fill their their bags with the grain so they got all the food they wanted and to give every man back his money and to give them provisions for the journey. And it was done for them. Okay, so look what happens to them. They come, they're looking for food, and God gives them all this food, plus provisions, plus all their money back. Did they deserve it? No. No, really, they deserved the prison cell, okay, based on what they'd done. But they received what they did not deserve, what they could not earn. They received grace. And it's this incredible picture of what God does in our lives. And look at how they responded. In verse 28, for the first time in their lives that we read of, their hearts sank, they trembled to one another, and they said this, what is this that God has done to us? What is this that God has done to us? For the first time they acknowledged Almighty God. Not some miracle, Almighty God. They were coming to grips with the true God. And they, like many of us, were living like he didn't really exist. And so just stop and think about when has God showered you with his grace? So often we can think of all the things that are bad, all the problems we got, all the things we mess up. How about just think about how many great things God has done in your life? The conscience from God makes you aware of sin and it bothers you. When you step away from that incredible sense of his grace and his joy. Because, see, his, God really just wants us to live who we truly are. And as Christians, if you know Christ as your Savior, you're holy, you're forgiven, you're a saint. 
okay, in Christ. It's incredible. And you might not feel like it, right? You don't even think it's true. But the conscience is kind of tr really prompting us to, to live who we are, okay? Live who you are. Christ lives in you. And so it's so funny because we believe the opposite. So we think, I sinned again, I messed up again. That's who I really am. That's the lie, okay? That's why the conscience prompts us because that's not the truth in Christ. In, tr in Christ, when you make the right choice, when you walk in the Spirit, when Christ lives through you and he never sins through us because he never sins because he's God, when that happens, then we're living in the truth. And when we get out of that, our conscience prompts us to bring us back to that. And truly, we'll never find that from other people. All mankind can offer us is tolerance, right? We can put up with each other. But God offers us his grace. You are holy. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You are beloved by Almighty God. And as we repent and turn to him and admit that we're wrong when we're wrong, we get to receive his grace, his unearned favor. And that's really the beauty of this conscience that convicts us when we're off track is it allows us to turn to him and be showered in his grace. And so that's really my desire is that would just settle in you today. Ah, his grace, his love. So as we, as we land this thing, as we apply it, we're going to have a really physical, practical opportunity to apply it. But I really believe God is making himself known to every single one of you. And maybe he's doing it through your circumstances that you can't control. Maybe it's through some relationship. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe you're a victim of an unfair treatment, kind of similar to what you passed on to someone before. Maybe he's making himself known and he's just showering you with his grace. But it's really time to kind of choose. Will you acknowledge him? Will you surrender to him? And we're going to give each of you a chance before God to surrender to him as we share communion together. And this is an opportunity between you and the God of Israel. You and the God of Joseph. The God of Peter, the God of Paul. It's something that Christians have celebrated together for more than 2,000 years. And as we celebrate communion, the, the worship team is going to come back up and, and play. And you're welcome to join us in communion. If you know Christ as your Savior, join us in communion. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I challenge you to take this time to ask yourself, why? Why haven't you surrendered to Jesus Christ and trusted him? And maybe this is your day to do that. But we're going to ask that the ushers and the elders, whoever can help us, would pass out the elements. And I would ask that you would just hold on to them. Uh, and, um, and as you hold on to them, just consider how God might be making himself known to you and turn to him and then we will corporately we'll all together kind of celebrate this uh, as one father i pray even now that you would just bust through our lives and in these moments that you would just make yourself known in ways we cannot deny in ways beyond what we can even fathom and maybe it's a circumstance we just turn it to you maybe it's something we've done in the past that's wrong we can't fix it we never can fix it we just need your grace maybe it's just that you're just blessing us beyond what we can even imagine and we just want to acknowledge you and so father uh this morning as we celebrate, uh, I pray that we would just have the opportunity, even now, to turn to you. Thanks.